Turn again with me, please, to our scripture reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're going to look today at the words of verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6. <clears throat> Visiting a garden centre just a few weeks ago, I was struck by a very large sign that I saw uh, in one of the, the, the aisles within the garden centre. And it simply said, plant for spring. That's all it said. It just said, plant for spring. And of course it was advertising the lovely uh, bulbs that they were selling. And the customers were encouraged to, to buy these bulbs in order to plant for the springtime. And to put a little bit of bloom into their garden and into their home. The spiritual significance of it was not lost on me. And I'll tell you why. Because... We were two seasons up ahead. We hadn't even come to the end of summer and we were being encouraged to buy bulbs that were going to bloom two seasons up ahead after autumn and winter and then the springtime. And the spiritual application is very obvious. There would be no spiritual bloom in all alone. And there would be no spiritual bloom across Ulster. If believers stop planting today. We're not just planting for the 24th of September. We're planting for the days and the generations. If the Lord tarries that are to come. And as I read that sign. It just came to my mind these words of Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6. Paul was able to write to the Corinthians many years after he he had founded the church. And this is what he said to them. He said, I have planted. I have planted. The apostle, just like the master, he drew many of his metaphors from the, the agri-industry that was all round about him. And he used language which was well known by his listeners. And he compared the church in this passage that we've read together. The church at Corinth, he said... Ye are God's husbandry. That's a lovely old uh, expression. It just simply means you are God's tillage. You are where God tills. You are where God plows. You are where God cultivates. You are where God plants. You are where God grows. You are where God harvests. It's the only time in the New Testament that the word is found. Husbandry. And commentators tell us it's like God's farm. God has a farm where spiritual cultivation is ongoing and where harvests are being constantly brought in with fruit that is unto eternal life. Paul's planting metaphor in the field at Corinth, it provides us again with a very clear, simple explanation of how God's work is still done in Christ's church today. We are Christ's farm. And in order for it to bloom, we have to plant. So we're going to look at this text today and consider with you just some very simple lessons from this great metaphor that Paul used in planting, not just for today, but for the seasons, the years that lie ahead. Firstly, in planting, notice that God uses human instrumentality. He uses human instrumentality. Paul humbly acknowledged his own 
uh, input, his own instrumentality in planting the church at Corinth. He said, I have planted. You might think that's somewhat egotistical, but the caveat will be explained in the rest of the passage. And Paul did plant the, the church at Corinth. You can read all about that. We'll not take time to turn there. But it is in Acts chapter 18 verse 1 to 11. The city of Corinth was a very prominent city uh, of ancient Greece. It was 40 miles uh, west of Athens. And we're told it was a very important Roman administration centre of the whole region of Achaia. Which had been made a Roman colony by no man less than Julius Caesar in uh, BC 446. If Athens had a reputation, it is said, for culture, Corinth had a reputation for corruption. It was a city infamous for corruption in its day. And traders from, because it was a port, and traders from all over the Mediterranean, they came to Corinth to trade in commerce, but not only trade in commerce, but indulge in all of the corrupt practices and sins of the day. You and I think that sin is somehow invented in 2024. Let me tell you, if you'd have visited Corinth, uh, way back in the time of the Apostle Paul, you would have found temples given over to prostitution, with thousands of prostitutes in it. All part of the pagan cultic worship that they engaged in. You would have found vile practices. You would have found laws that were contrary, directly contrary to the Hebrew scriptures and to the, the law of God. So to live like a Corinthian was a, a, a term that was synonymous in the New Testament times with a life of luxury and licentiousness. Very much like 2023. It was a moral cesspool. And yet it was to Corinth that God brought the Apostle Paul and the Apostolic Band and it was in the most unlikely of places that a New Testament church was founded. I believe when he came to Corinth, he was very conscious of the opposition of Satan. Do you think Satan wants his, the, the people of God to go into his domain and to root out the tares and to plant gospel seed instead of the wickedness and the vileness that he has planted? When Paul arrived at Corinth, the Bible tells us in uh, chapter 2, Verse 1, he said, When I came, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. There's not too many preachers would get up in the pulpit and they would say before a congregation, Today I'm before you and I'm mightily afraid of you and I'm trembling and I'm in much weakness. And then he went on to say, in verse 4, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. I, I'm glad that his faith was greater than his fears. And faith has to triumph over our fears and triumph over our feelings if we're going to go into the enemy's domain and do a work for God in the enemy's domain. We're reclaiming ground. Since I have come... To, to this part of more now, I have watched with great fascination farmers retraining, reclaiming ground. And so fields are ploughed and all the stones are taken out of the fields and they're, they're all piled up and 
Farmers years ago never realized they could make so much money gathering stones out of fields. Ground has to be reclaimed. And when ground is reclaimed, then seed can be planted in it. It's good to know what type of seed Paul was planting. <clears throat> First uh, chapter, he tells us all about that. He, he tells us about the foolishness of preaching. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save those that believe. God wants you and I to go into the field to reclaim it. And he wants us to proclaim. To proclaim what? We're, we're sent to preach. We're sent to proclaim the message of the gospel of Christ. And what were we sent to preach? Verse 23. We preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block. And unto Greeks foolishness. The Greeks they, they were into ph philosophy. They were into the theories of, of the ancient uh, Grecians. The Jews they heard about this. A carpenter from Nazareth. Whom the apostles proclaimed. Died as the Messiah on the center cross. And it was foolishness to them. But to Paul it was the power of God and the wisdom of God. You know, brethren and sisters, we have no new word to proclaim. We have no new seed. There is no new packaging of the old gospel. That's what men and women are trying to do today. They're trying to rebrand. They're trying to repackage the old-fashioned message of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's no repackaging of it needed. We take that seed of Christ crucified. We plant it in hearts and in lives. And we wait for God to give a harvest. There's no new message. If you're here with us today unconverted. Let me tell you. I've been here quite a number of years now. And I have nothing new other than Jesus Christ and him crucified to present to sinners as the way of God's mercy and the way of God's grace and the way of God's salvation. And if you will not be saved by the cross, you will not be saved. If you refuse to trust in the blood-stained sacrifice of Christ of Calvary, you will be lost. Lost for all eternity. Protestant good works are no more effectual before God than Roman Catholic good works. It is faith in a crucified saviour alone that will take the soul to heaven. This is the type of gospel seed that the Lord has given to us. And we're called to plant it. How then do we go about planting it? Well, this opens up to us just a whole new avenue of study, I believe. Well, we plant it by our lives. By our lives. By how you live every day. You mightn't even be conscious of it, but by how you live every day. You are influencing others. And you're either influencing them for God or driving them away from God. It's an awful, thing that, an awful thing to think that there could be some Christian and instead of being someone who draws people to God, they're actually repelling people from the things of God by the way they live. How did Paul live at Corinth? Well, we know that when he came to Corinth, he, he plied his trade and he, he was prepared to... He was prepared to engage. But more than that, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 2 and 2, he said, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. He was a crucified man. 
He died to self. And when you die to self, you can live unto Christ. This was the text they put on the headstone of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. This was his life. I am crucified with Christ. I wonder how much of Jesus Christ and him crucified do people in Analong and Mourn see through our lives. Again, I want to say to you, before they listen to what you say, they're reading how you live. How are you living? There are some people, and they come with this air of entitlement. It's as if the world owes them something. Well, the world owes you and I nothing. A, a, a man or woman who has that self of entitlement, that haughty spirit, he's not a planter, he's just a proud, self centered individual. And the spiritual battle that we fight, dear brethren and sisters, it is one. It is one that will not be won by carnal means. There has to be death, death in our lives to self and sin. We, we not only plant by our lives, we, we plant by our lips. We have to speak the gospel. We have to share the gospel. And Paul talked about his, his speech and he admitted that his speech and his preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of the power. He didn't try to follow the Grecian orators of the day or how they framed their speeches or how they framed their oratory. But rather, he wanted to speak in the demonstration of the Spirit of God with the power of God resting upon them. And when we share the gospel, don't worry if your words aren't grand and don't worry if your words aren't eloquent. Just strive to make your words spirit-filled. And they'll be spirit-filled of their scriptural words. Just pointing sinners to Christ every time. We plant with our labours. Paul spoke in verse 8 of individual labour. You know what that word labour means? It means toils, it means troubles, it means tiredness. And there's a planting work to be done, but it will involve all of those things. It will involve you toiling. It will involve you expending trouble. It will involve you getting tired. But that's our labour for the Saviour. And then we, we plant with our liberality because in Second Corinthians 9 and 6, he spoke of those who sowed sparingly. And that was a reference to giving. There are some people, and they give very sparingly to Almighty God. God gives them everything. God only asks the one-tenth and the offering. It's as if the other way, people think the other way, it's as if God asks 90%. No, God doesn't ask 90%. He just asks 10%. 10% belongs to him. And yet there are many Christians who can't give even that liberally to the Lord. But let me tell you, 2 Corinthians 9 and 6 tells us, He that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. How are you sowing? How are you sowing and not alone today? How are you planting? God uses our human instrumentality. That's an amazing thing to me. God can use me. God can use you. Secondly, in planting, God uses a diversity. 
a diversity of servants and of saints. Paul is very quick in this passage to acknowledge the, the contribution of Apollos. Chapter 3, verse 4 to 6, he said, For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Now we're introduced to Apollos in Acts 18, verse 24 to verse 26. The Bible tells us there he was a man mighty in the scriptures. He knew the Hebrew scriptures. And yet he needed to be mentored. He needed to be further taught in the things of God. And so Priscilla and Aquila, they took him and, and they taught him deeper and they taught him further in the things of God. And you know, it'll tell everybody all that they need to know about you and I. And it'll say everything about your spirit and my spirit. In that when someone teaches us something new and tells us, now, well, you could do it differently because the word of God says this or that, that we take it as from the Lord. We don't take it personally. We don't take it as an insult. But we take it, someone has taken the time to search the scriptures and share the scriptures with us and seek to admonish us and encourage us and, and lead us on with the Lord. That's a blessing. Apollos took all of that. Apollos could have said, remember the Bible says in, in Acts 18.24, he was mighty in the scriptures. Who were Priscilla and Aquila to tell him, this mighty man in the scriptures? But he had humble enough spirit to be taught. And as a result, when Paul left Corinth, Apollos came to Corinth and he was able to further encourage the believers at Corinth in the things of God. And the Bible tells us that he watered the seed that Paul had planted. He watered the seed that God had planted. Now, of course, here in Northern Ireland, mostly, although earlier on in the year we wonder, but mostly in Northern Ireland, we don't have to really worry about watering things because there's plenty of water and plenty of rain. But if you were a farmer in the east, you had to dig channels of irrigation. You had to make sure that the water got to where you, you planted the crops. You had to make sure if those channels of irrigation were not there, at least the water was there to, to make those, those plants grow and prosper. And God used the ministry of Apollos to further cultivate that farm, that husbandry of God at Corinth, and produce a harvest. And the ministry of Apollos built up the souls that uh, Paul had won to the Lord at Corinth and led them on with God and made them fruitful, the Bible says, in every good work. And that tells us something that tells us that each minister has a different gift, a different work, a different usefulness. Some are planters, some are waterers. Apollos and Paul are wonderful examples of how God uses diversity, a diversity of servants to make his husbandry grow. Paul was equally desirous to acknowledge the contribution of the many others you take time to read through First and Second Corinthians and you'll find that he makes mention also of Cephas. Who was Cephas? That was Peter. And here was the great apostle Paul and he's making mention of Cephas and, and he's thanking the Lord for Cephas and, and for his ministry. Because as Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, Peter was the apostle to the Jews. And then in 1 Corinthians 4.17, he makes mention of Timotheus. Who's Timotheus? Simply Timothy. This young man that Paul had won to the Lord, his son in the faith. And then in chapter, six, verse, chapter 9, verse 6, he makes mention of Barnabas, this son of consolation. This dear man 
who was the first to introduce him to the apostolic band of Jerusalem. He didn't forget about Barnabas. In chapter 16, verse 15, he makes mention of the house of Stephanus. And then he makes mention of the house of Fortunus and Archaeus. Uh, and he makes mention of all of these wonderful Christian people who had helped him in his ministry. And Paul wanted the Corinthians to appreciate them all. He didn't say, I'm the boss at Corinth. I planted it. You better keep looking to me. You better keep listening to me. You better keep following me. He didn't say that at all. He, he, he taught them that diversity was something that God uses to his glory and to bring his harvest in. Now Paul already knew in Corinth there existed contentions. That's what the chapter opens with. The book opens with contentions are just another word for divisions. And do you know what this division was over? Ministers. Ministers can be a great blessing in the church. But they can also bring division in the church. And a major concern was how believers at Corinth gave allegiance to the various members of the apostolic band. In this chapter we've already read, some of them were saying in Corinth, I am of Paul, I am of Paul, I just follow Paul. Others said, well, I'm of Apollos. And then others said, I'm of Cephas. And then some said, ironically, I'm of Christ. Paul knew that diversity amongst his ministers was a good thing. Paul could never preach like John. John could never preach like Peter. And yet God used them all. The sermons that Isaiah preached, Ezekiel could never have preached. And the sermons that Ezekiel preached, Jeremiah could never have preached. And the sermons that Daniel preached were different to Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah. But God used them all. I've been listening, I've often recommended to you Dr. Sinclair's Ferguson's podcast every morning. If you want something to sit down with your porridge with in the morning and to be edified, just download the, the podcast of Dr. Ferguson. And he was quoting just a few weeks ago Philip Brooks, the, the great uh, divine of a bygone age. And he said, preaching is characterized as God's truth coming through personality. God's truth coming through personality. God uses different personalities, diverse servants within his church, in order that the planting might go on and the harvesting might continue. If we were all the same, what would it mean? Trouble. Remember when Saul, young David, came before him and Saul said to him, Now David, if you're going to go out to fight Goliath, you've got to wear my armor. And David couldn't put on Saul's armor. It didn't fit him. He knew he couldn't fight the, the, the giant Goliath using the armor of uh, King Saul. He had to go out with his sling and with his stones. And he had to face the enemy as he would have to face the enemy. He didn't go in his own name, but he went in the name of the Lord Jehovah. And in that name, God gave him the victory. And I think congregations fall into the trap time and time again of pitting one minister against another minister. 
Let me say to you, every brother has a different burden. Every brother has a different emphasis. Every brother has a different personality. But God uses them all in his husbandry and in his harvest field to glorify himself and to extend the borders of his kingdom. How did Paul summarize it all? Well, in chapter 3, 4 and 5, verse 5, he said, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? Who? Who, who are these men for you to lift up and to uh, uh, forge followers of? Who is Paul? Who is Apollos? He said, but simply ministers by whom ye believed. Just ministers by whom ye believed. Reverend John Newton wrote many years ago some very sensible advice to those who were seeking a godly minister to listen to and to uh, sit under their ministry. And in one letter, and you can find it in his volumes, on hearing sermons, he wrote about the, the variety of ministerial abilities. Now, I brought the book to read it to you, but time is away, so I'm not going to do it. But there's such a diversity of, of uh, gifts amongst ministers. Some know, and they were described in the days of revival here in Ulster gone by, they were the cock of the conscience. When they preached, the conscience was stirred. Then there were others who came, and they brought the healing balm, the healing balm of the gospel. There was a minister up in Old Stone in Antrim, and he preached the law of God with such fervor that the men and women in Antrim, they were smitten and stricken in sin. But what happened? They had to call for Blair from Bangor and they came across the Belfast Lock and he brought the healing balm of the gospel to the Six Mile Water region and he brought peace where the previous minister had only stirred their soul but didn't give any balm for their soul. Let's learn that in God's husbandry different gifts and graces are needed and we're thankful for all. And I take encouragement that as a minister of the gospel, I know my gifts are not equal to others. But God uses what I have for his purposes and for his glory. I was ordained when I was 25 years of age. When I went to the first presbytery meeting, at the front sat Dr. Paisley, Dr. Douglas and Dr. S.B. Cook. And I was, I think, in awe of those dear men. I, I believe with all my heart that they were some of the most gifted gospel preachers of our day and of our generation. And I thought my ministry could never succeed because I couldn't match them. Now that was not a reflection on any of them. That was a reflection on my own faulty understanding of what the ministry was. God didn't want me to be an Ian Paisley. He didn't want me to be a John Douglas. He didn't want me to be a Bert Cook. He just wanted me to be me. Don't fix your hopes on men. Look to the Lord. And as we look to the Lord, the Lord can make the ministry of men to be a blessing to your soul. I know there are some people... And uh, if there were people announced here to come and preach, they wouldn't come to hear them. I, I think that's lamentable. Really lamentable. These are God's men. 
And they're all different. But they're God's men with God's message. And God's providence in his time. With a message for your soul and mine. In planting, thirdly, we need to cultivate unity. So Paul, he realized all the factions and the divisions at the church at Corinth caused by ministers. Caused by people factionalizing and, and, and uh, grouping after ministers. I'm Paul's man. I'm Apollos' man. I'm Peter's man. And so they went into little sections. And what did he say about the Corinthian Christians? He said, you are carnal. You're carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? The church had taken sides over who was the best minister, who was the best preacher. And Paul said, this is just carnal. This is just fleshly. This is not the way to do the work of God. How instead did Paul view all of these men? Apollos, Peter, Titus, Timotheus, Aquila, Priscilla, Barnabas. How did he view them all? In chapter 3 verse 9 he said we're laborers together. We're laborers together. Similar phrase, 2 Corinthians 6 and 1, we're workers together. Ministers of the gospel are laborers, not loiterers, they're laborers. There's one old elder said to me many years ago, we left the, the Presbyterian church in Green Island and he came and joined us in Carrickfergus. And he said to me, I believe that the ministry done God's way is the hardest work on earth, but done man's way it's the easiest work on earth. And he was absolutely right. It's a labor. It's a labor of mind. It's a labor of soul. It's a labor of spirit. And I'm glad we're not called to labor alone. Ministers are called to labor with elders. They're called to labor with deacons. They're called to labor with congregations. And normally, we don't labor alone. We should shun everything and everyone who would try to separate us from others in the work of God. If we want to bring the harvest in and we don't want it to be damaged, then we have to cultivate the spirit of unity in the local church and in the church at large. In 1 Corinthians 12, 25-27, Paul addressed face on the schism at the church at Corinth. And he said in verse 25 that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for the other. Unity is not to be confused with uniformity. There's a difference. The body has many members. They're all diverse. You're all different. Uh, uh, over the years, it's been amazing to, to interact with all the people of God here and on alone. Uh, and I know there's just a great diversity of personality. And that's the way it is. And that's the way it, it ought to be. We're all different. Unity is not uniformity. You do not have to be me. I do not have to be you. But the most exciting emphasis in the passage is that we're laborers together. Yes, with our brethren and sisters in the Lord. But we're laborers together with God. We're laboring with God. And planting gospel seed. And working for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're laborers with God. 
when sometimes you feel your work is undervalued, underrated, and nobody really says that's a great job you're doing uh, and, and praises you for your contribution. And uh, uh, Yes, that's a terrible oversight. I know that. But just you remember, I'm doing it for God. I'm laboring for God. I'm laboring with him. And one day such labor will be rewarded. Not according to our talents, not according to our success, but according to our labor. It's going to be rewarded. There's a day of reward coming. Finally, as we plant, let's remember this great cardinal truth. That all the blessing, all the growth, all the harvest is subject to the sovereignty of God. Paul was encouraged in knowing that as he labored, what did he say? God gave the increase. God gave the increase. And the analogy, of course, is between the work of the farmer, the, the husband man, and the production of the harvest. Now, we know that the planting and the watering, <coughs> they're, they're not <coughs> the efficient causes of that vegetation taking root, going through the normal cycle and producing the harvest. You can have the best farmer, you can have the best seed, and yet there are things beyond the control of the seed and the farmer that will not allow the harvest to take place. There's a sovereignty here, and we see it in the work of God. There's a sovereignty in the saving of precious souls. We labor, God gives the increase. We are not saviors, men and women. We only take the message of the saviour to men and women. And there's a huge difference. The increase is the prerogative of the Holy Spirit of God. Paul, he comes back to this time and time again. And my speech and my preaching was not with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. In my own little order, of service that I have every Sunday. Do you know what I write on it? I write the, the words of the Shorter Catechism, number 89. You know what that says? How is the word made effectual to salvation? It's the Spirit of God who maketh the reading of the word and especially the preaching of the word an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners. Who does it? The Spirit of God. It's not Ian Harris, it's not the session, it's not the committee, it's not all the good godly people and all along. It's the Spirit of God that maketh the reading of the word and especially the preaching of the word a means to convince and convert sinners. We ought never to forget that. We ought to be crying unto God in our prayer meetings for the Spirit of God to do his own blessed work. And we look to the Lord to give the increase. The increase. We shouldn't be looking for decreasing. We should be looking for the increasing of the work of God. As I know it's a day of great discouragement in, in many churches. There are many churches, dear brethren and sisters, even amongst our own denomination. And they're struggling today. They're struggling. There are other places and they're just overseeing, in other parts of the evangelical work, they're just overseeing a gradual decline. And they're working out, how can they sell that building? How can they, they, they bring these funds together? It's a sad, uh, 
a reflection upon where we are in the land today of the evangelical church. A few years ago when I was over in the Isle of Man and I was traveling around the Isle of Man, I knew that I noticed these lovely Wesleyan chapels where years ago the gospel was preached and sinners were invited to Christ and they've been converted into restaurants and eating houses and flats and, and, and apartments. We ought not to be thinking of the decrease we ought to be thinking of the increase. When we're doing planting work, we can in all confidence depend on a sovereign God to give the increase. He must give the increase. And he promises to give the increase. He must give the increase. I plant, he gives the increase. We started off by talking to you about human instrumentality. But you know, this is where it all ends up, divine sovereignty. It's all of God. The salvation is all of God. The increase has to be likewise all of God. Can you say with Paul, I have planted. What have you planted in the past year? Maybe you could tell me, well, I've planted this bulb and that bulb for the spring and for the summer of next year. But what gospel seed have you planted lately? And how busy have you been in God's husbandry, in God's farm, and seeking to raise a harvest of souls in the days to come? You know what struck me about that sign is what struck me was they weren't just planting for today, they were planting for two seasons up ahead. And your work and my work is not just for today. And the seed that you plant and I plant, we might never even see it harvest. We might never even see it brought in. But we're planting it in faith, believing that God will produce a harvest from it. And isn't it exciting to know that in this great husbandry, this farm that is God's, we have a little part to play, a little seed to put in, and that one day God will bring a harvest from it. May the Lord bless you today. Make us all planters, waterers.